Well, two weeks ago, for those of you who are here, I, I began a, a sermon series, but last week, for those of you who are here, you know that I interrupted the series due to the fire, as I wanted to address what had been happening, its impact, and what I believe God wanted us and wants us to remember in the midst of this really tough time in the valley. But given that things are getting a bit better, uh, today I thought I would get back on track with the series and continue. Now, some of you may remember, ironically, when I began the series two weeks ago, I titled it, I, you know, the, the, it's, it's ironic, but um, Ember Living, <laughs> a sermon series on living and igniting faith. And uh, the question, though, posed was really all about how we live our lives in such a way that we ignite faith in others as well as ourselves. But given the circumstances in the valley, I've decided to leave the words ember and ignite behind in this series because I really don't think any of us need to be thinking of those images at this time. Although that's the case, the point of the series remains the same as what I've been talking about has to do with how we influence other people and how we have an impact on other people around us based on our walk with Jesus. So I'd like us to focus on images of impact and influence as we continue. Well, as is the case in every generation, there is much that is very disturbing and troubling all around us at both the micro and macro levels. And while it might look quite different, this reality of things being disturbing and troubling was the reality that the first Christians faced and the followers of Jesus when they were walking with him. A lot of what was happening so long ago was really off base with much suffering and anguish as a result. And the world then, as it is now, filled with many ills we are all familiar with. And while there's a lot right in our culture and a lot that's good, there is much that is askew that can feel overwhelming at times. That's the bad news. The good news, however, is that as followers of Jesus, we in no way are helpless because we can affect change, really important change, right around us. Think of the impact that the first 12 followers of Jesus had. You and I are here as a result of that impact and influence today. Now, Jesus said very clearly in paraphrase form, love God, love people, and then take that love outward. And that's what he meant through his words of the great commandment and the great commission. Jesus said, in essence, the way to live in the world, the way to follow me, the way to confront what is wrong, the way to have an impact and help bring about a world that God wants is to love God, love people, and take that love outward. Now, overall, I believe it's important for us to keep some things in mind as you and I go about living the great commandment and the great commission. When we put love, forgiveness, unity, and community at the forefront of our minds and actions, we will be doing what God commanded us to do through the Great Commission and Great Commandment. And the point of this series, you may remember, is to explore what love, forgiveness, unity, and community look like. Now, you may remember from a few weeks ago that I mentioned that there are several studies that show that during a lifetime, on average, you and I meet 80,000 people. Just think about that. Whether or not we have close friends, 
because of our encounters day in and day out with people. You and I, whether we're aware of it or not, affect people. We impact people. We influence people, even if it is just a three-second encounter. And as I suggested, this truth that we impact people, even in a three-second encounter, that we meet 80,000 people in our lifetime, that is not only amazing, but it's a privilege and opportunity and an awesome and massive responsibility that we can accept or deny. Whether we are a stay-at-home parent, a painter, a teacher, a clerk, a business owner, a CEO, a doctor, or a retiree, wherever we find ourselves, you and I have spheres of influence. And we can choose, or choose more intentionally, to use our sphere of influence to create change and make a difference. Just imagine if the 80,000 people you and I run into in our lives got a little touch of the love of God through even a three-second encounter. Just imagine. Now, two weeks ago, I went into detail about love. Today, I want to delve into forgiveness. As forgiveness is one way, one way of living, one way of being through which we can have a massive impact, not only on ourselves, but on others. And as I continue in my life journey and witness events in the world, it is becoming clearer and clearer to me that if the world is going to survive, forgiveness has to become the norm, not retaliation, vengeance, degradation, put-downs, caustic behavior, and hatred. One person, in fact, wrote this. Listen to this. It's a very short quote, but listen to this. It's, it's powerful. This person writes, unless we embrace forgiveness in our own hearts and in our own communities, humanity's existence is at risk. I believe that. What humanity needs now, I believe, what this world needs now is a massive bath of forgiveness. Just imagine what this planet would be like if forgiveness was the norm. Now, while there are those among us whose lives reflect a spirit of forgiveness, if truth be told, forgiveness, I believe, is something that many, if not most of us, at times struggle with. I certainly struggle with forgiveness. I sometimes find forgiveness to be arduous and challenging and heart-wrenching. Why on earth would I want to forgive somebody who's hurt a family member? Why on earth would I want to forgive a person who hates me? Why on earth would I want to forgive the drunk driver that killed my babysitter? Why on earth would I want to forgive the friend that really betrayed me in a way that cut me to the core? Why would I want to do that? And then, of course, there's the flip side of forgiveness, which might even be tougher than the things I just mentioned. And that is the journey of forgiving ourselves. That can be really tough, can't it? I know in my own heart there's some things I've done over the years that really aren't so swift and things I struggle with, especially when it comes to self-forgiveness. And how many of us have felt like Paul felt when he wrote in his letter to the people of Rome, I don't understand myself. I want to do what is right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do the very thing I hate. Indeed, forgiveness has got to be one of the toughest, roughest, hardest tasks there is in life to which we're called if we take our walk with Jesus seriously. Although forgiveness can be brutal, I know in my heart that forgiving is not an option. 
if I take the cross of Christ seriously. Now, while it's not my role to point out anyone else's sins, nor on earth would I ever want to, I believe, as Paul wrote in one of his letters, that we deceive ourselves if we say we've not really blown it in life with certain people, in certain situations, and certainly at times in our relationship with God. I believe we're kidding of ourselves if we don't acknowledge that sometimes we just get it wrong. Can you imagine going about life thinking, I never get anything wrong? I don't know anybody who's perfect. Now, the point of this is not to make us feel bad or rotten or guilty. Actually, quite the opposite. You see, as human beings, we all fall short, thank God. Sometimes we do the wrong things, don't do the right things. But keep in mind God's response to you and to me in response to this. God's stance to us, God's reaction towards us, we are forgiven. I'm forgiven. You are forgiven by God. Do you believe it? Do you accept it? Is it part of your life? Now, others may not forgive us for something. We may struggle with forgiving ourselves, but when it comes to God, it's a done deal. And that's great news for sure. You see, when we accept that we are forgiven by God, we begin to see ourselves and others quite differently. We give ourselves and other people more slack. We don't seek perfection. We know we all fall short. We go about life with humility and empathy. So for a moment, I want to take a look at what's at the core of forgiving. One person writes, God forgives, we should forgive. And we should forgive as God forgives. But it's very difficult to forgive. When I read that, I thought, duh. <laughs> but, I, but I like this next part this person writes. A keen sense of equity guards our dignity in a potentially hostile world. That's a great line. A keen sense of equity guards our dignity in a potentially hostile world. In the midst of this, this person goes on to write, Christ is not just outside of us modeling forgiveness and urging us to forgive. We need to remember that the presence of Christ lives in us, and it's from Christ who is within us that we receive the power and the willingness to forgive other people. Christ forgives through us, and that's why we can forgive. It's Christ through us that does the forgiving. This person continues to write, as Paul wrote, it is no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me. Therefore, it's not I who forgive, but Christ who forgives through me. And when we understand that it is Christ who lives in us, we gain a desire to practice being like Christ. And we'll have a sense that it's not so much we who are acting, but Christ who is acting through us. So as I think about this extended quote, I think that the foundation of forgiveness is really twofold. The basis from which we can forgive. First and foremost, the presence of God is within us. The power and strength to do anything in life does not come from us alone, but rather from God who is alone. Or is, is, is within us. We're not alone. God's power is within us. God's love is within us. God's healing is within us. God's forgiveness is within us. So if we need to forgive, we can do it because God is in us. The presence of God is in us. We can forgive because God in us can forgive. Now that said, perhaps sometimes we just need to say something like, God, I can't forgive. It seems impossible to me. But I know your presence is in me. Please help me with this and show me the path toward forgiveness. And while I may not be in a place to forgive right now, I know that you can work through me and that you can. 
Now, the second foundation of forgiveness is to totally get, understand, embrace, and accept that God loves us without bounds. We hear this, but do we feel it? Jesus once said, when you are loved much, you can forgive much. And when you've been forgiven much, you can love much. And when we receive and take in God's love, that puts us in a position to live with a forgiving heart because forgiveness comes from love. So the basis of forgiveness is to accept, embrace, and take in the truth that God is in us, around us, ahead of us, behind us, all over us, and that we are loved. That's where forgiveness comes from. To put all this another way, God is in me, God loves me, God forgives me, God is in you, God loves you, God forgives you. And if we believe this and accept this, it changes how we respond to other people. Sounds easy, but it's not. So for those of us who still struggle with forgiveness, here are some things to keep in mind about it. I believe it's important to remember that sometimes when we are wounded by another person, forgiveness is not nor should not be our first response. One person writes, a person with a shattered life does not need Christ to forgive her or to forgive through her. Before anything else, what she needs is Christ to cradle her, to nurse her with the milk of divine love, to hold her in his arms like a gem, to sing her songs of gentle care and firm protection, to restore her to herself as a beloved and treasured being. In other words, sometimes when we're hurt by another person, our first response cannot nor necessarily should be forgiveness. Instead, sometimes when our wounds are great, it warrants raging against God, against life, against unfairness. And sometimes our wounds warrant us sitting in despair as Job did when he lost everything at no fault of his own. And sometimes when we're wounded, what we need more than anything is to be loved and nurtured and cared for by others and by God. In other words, sometimes we cannot, nor should we even entertain forgiveness until we've had time to heal and we've been loved up enough again to feel love. Here's some other things to keep in mind. When God forgives, God does not do something. God does not pretend the offense or action did not happen. When God forgives, God in essence says, yes, you've done something wrong that is not right. One person writes, to forgive is to name and condemn the misdeed. Said another way, when we forgive, it does not mean we are saying what happened was okay, or that the action or lack of action was no big deal, or that no harm was done. Instead, in the act of forgiveness, we are naming something as being wrong. In other words, to forgive is to name the injustice. When I say I forgive you, we are saying what you did was not right. But forgiveness is not just about naming the misdeed. Forgiveness, as two fellows named Smeed and Enright suggest, is all about letting go of our need to get even. About releasing the other person from retaliation. It's about saying, I'm, I'm going to let go of my desire to get back at you. I'm not going to act on my desire to get even. I'm not going to seek revenge. And on this point, here's what the pastor Nadia Boltz-Weber wrote about not getting even. 
She writes, I believe when someone else does us harm, we're connected to that mistreatment like a chain. And maybe retaliation or getting even or holding on to anger about the harm done to me doesn't combat evil. Maybe it feeds it. Because in the end, if we're not careful, we can absorb what is wrong. So what if forgiveness, rather than being a pansy way of saying, that's okay, is actually a way of wielding a bolt cutter and snapping the chain that links us to the misdeed? It's like saying what you did was so not okay that I refuse to be connected to that deed anymore. Not the person, but the deed. But forgiveness is not just about naming the wrong, letting go of the need to re- letting go of a need for revenge. Forgiveness is also about coming to the place over time in which we realize the person who has hurt us is fallible, just like we are. This doesn't mean we necessarily would do what the other person did, but it means we realize that all human beings have brokenness within. People hurt from places of hurt. People harm from being harmed. People break others from their own brokenness. This does not mean the harm done is okay or to be excused, but rather can help us to understand that sometimes the harm done is not about we who are on the receiving end, but about what is happening within the other person. And aside from naming the wrong, letting go of revenge, understanding that people are broken, forgiveness ultimately can be about coming to the place in which we pray for and wish the best for the other person. Forgiveness, as one person writes, is one's merciful response to someone who has unjustly hurt us. It's about extending the mercy of God to another. Just some other quick things about forgiveness. Forgiveness does not mean no justice. Forgiveness does not mean no incarceration and protecting the public. Forgiveness does not mean staying in a place or in a relationship in which there is continuing harm and danger. Forgiveness does not mean we necessarily forget. As one person writes, when there's potential harm in a relationship, we need to remember what's happening and going on. Forgiveness does not have to include reconciliation, although it might. And just before I close, a brief comment on self-forgiveness. How many of you have a hard time sometimes forgiving yourselves? It breaks God's heart when we don't forgive ourselves, but God forgives us. And God wants us to forgive ourselves and love ourselves as God does. We hold on to self-punishment and guilt, living and joy and all that is right is impeded. We experience guilt, and guilt is feeling bad for what we have done. And shame is feeling bad for who we are. And when we don't forgive ourselves, guilt often turns into shame. And if we are stuck and unable to forgive ourselves, it is so vital we open up about that truth and share it with another person. We've got to get it out. I can't forgive myself over this. It's essential to bring the pain out into the light, to express what we feel, and to get to the bottom of it with another person and with others. If you're struggling with self-forgiveness, it can't happen alone. It's got to be a journey you do with others. Now, I've covered a lot of ground today, I probably too much, and there's so much more I can say on this subject, which is why I'm doing this as adult ed. 
But in conclusion, when we leave the chapel today, I invite you to join me in thinking about your sphere of influence. Who's in your sphere of influence? How might you and I be called to forgiveness somewhere within that sphere of influence? If you're running a business, how about introducing the concept of forgiveness to your employees? If you're in a medical office, how about introducing the concept of forgiveness into that setting or school? Where in our lives are we stuck with forgiveness and what we're going to do about it? And I want to leave you with this image. Two weeks ago I talked about imagine a world in which love is the norm. So I want you to imagine something else today. Imagine households where forgiveness is the norm. Imagine neighborhoods where forgiveness is the norm. Imagine cities and villages where forgiveness is the norm. Imagine nations where forgiveness is the norm. Imagine businesses where forgiveness is the norm. Talk about a different planet. So this morning when you cross the bridge and go over the stream and head back out into the world, join me in asking who is it right now in your sphere of influence that needs some forgiving today. And let's not forget to ask if one of the people needing some love and forgiveness is ourselves. Amen.